0: Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy.
1: We have to acknowledge that Black women and Black birthing people hold the solutions for what they need and what they deserve in this space. And that means shifting power to CBOs, that means addressing the systems-level failures, and investing in Black women.
0: I'm your host, Alan Weil. Systems of oppression like racism, sexism, and classism lead to poor health outcomes, these factors are a source of poor mental health and have particular implications for pregnant and birthing people. Black women, who face multiple axes of oppression, experience higher rates of maternal mental health conditions than the population as a whole. Yet, maternal mental health issues among black women are underreported and often underaddressed. Today's episode of A Health Podyssey explores the effects of structural racism on black birthing people's mental health and explores how we can do better. I'm here with Isabel Morgan, the director of the Birth Equity Research Scholars Program for the National Birth Equity Collaborative in New Orleans. Ms. Morgan and co-authors published a paper in the October 2021 issue of Health Affairs describing what they called pathways to equitable and anti-racist maternal mental health care. Through interviews with Black maternal and infant mental health stakeholders, Ms. Morgan and her co-authors identified five key pathways to advance equitable and anti-racist maternal mental health care. We'll discuss those in our episode today. Ms. Morgan, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here.
0: I'm so happy to have you as a guest today. Let's start by asking the question, why do we need to focus specifically on Black mothers when we're examining maternal health and maternal mental health in particular?
1: Absolutely. I think this is a great place to start and to build on your introduction. Um, There's a damaging narrative about Black mothers and parents. And so this is a population that has been misrepresented not only in the media, but also in the academic literature. So part of why this work is important to us is that there's a real need to undo those harmful narratives, to reframe the discussions about Black motherhood and Black parenthood, and it's acknowledging the fullness of those experiences. So not only the oppression, challenges, and barriers that Black mothers and parents experience, but also the beauties and the joys. Um, and for further historical context around these issues, I refer the audience to Dr. Parker's analysis of Black maternal mental health using an Afrocentric perspective that we reference in the paper. Um, to share a bit more about the epidemiologic data that we have, um, Black women and Black birthing people are most burdened by maternal mental health conditions and the implications of the mental health challenges. So CDC data shows that uh, postpartum depressive symptoms, the prevalence is higher among black women. So 18 to 30%. And even in our interview, stakeholders discuss the trauma that black women and black birthing people experience over the life course that has implications for pregnancy and birth experiences and outcomes. We know from data that black women experience more severe and chronic symptoms. So there has been longitudinal studies That have observed more severe or elevated symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, in Black women. So there's a real need to address this issue. And and lastly, I'll say related to maternal mental health specifically, even though there's been an an emphasis and and funding and efforts to address maternal health in the U.S., maternal mental health is still being siloed, despite the fact that mental health conditions are one of the leading causes of pregnancy-related death. So these are really important issues. And we were um, glad that we could, we could work on this, um, this, this research.
0: Uh, you've brought so many great angles in uh, so quickly. I hope we can follow up on them in the course of our conversation. Let's just start with some concepts that may or may not be familiar to everyone who's listening. You say your work is grounded in principles of reproductive justice and birth equity. What do those mean?
1: Absolutely. So in the paper, we contextualize the history of reproductive justice very briefly. Um, RJ was founded, the RJ movement was founded by 12 black feminist scholars and activists in 1994. They were really building on the reproductive health and reproductive rights work. Um, Reproductive justice is informed by human rights framework. So the the three primary principles that are most often referenced um, are the bodily autonomy and agency that folks have to have children to not have children and to parent children that they have in safe and sustainable communities. And reproductive justice scholars since that time have really expanded um, RJ as a theoretical framework to include sexual and reproductive health and wellness. So RJ introduced a paradigm shift. So moving us away from this falsehood around choices and more so an emphasis on access. So what does it mean to increase access to resources that impact our reproductive and sexual health and wellness. So it's not simply reproductive health services. It takes a more comprehensive um, approach. So, um, you know, how are we addressing community and police violence, for example? How are we increasing access and ensuring access to clean water sources? And even how are we addressing insults from climate change? Because all of these factors impact our reproductive health. RJ also allows us to analyze power dynamics and examine opportunities to shift power. To directly impacted populations. And then birth equity contributes a focus on social and structural factors that impact birth outcomes and experiences. And of course, also um, that is related to maternal mental health. And so with these two frameworks, RJ and birth equity, our team had to think through how are we going to operationalize them within our research? Um, And so some examples of the ways that we did that We centered black women and birthing people as experts. So those are the folks that we interviewed um, for our our research. We respect their experiential, cultural and spiritual knowledge and the lived experience that they bring to their work. When we held virtual workshops to present preliminary findings from our research, two of the black women stakeholders co-facilitated those sessions with us. Um, We also um, were intentional about the framing of our work using an asset-based approach. So we weren't simply asking, what are the challenges and barriers that Black women and birthing people experience when it comes to mental health, accessing mental health services, but how have they been able to successfully navigate these systems of care? We know that our people, Black, wom- Black people, Black women, are resourceful and resilient, but they should not have to be that way. Um, but we are due to um, systems-level failures. We asked specific questions about um, structural and social factors. So how are racism, gender oppression, um, and sexism, sexism impacting um, how people even conceptualize their mental health, how they um, access treatment, and how they utilize those services. And then we were intentional about examining power dynamics in our research analytic process. Um, so once our team analyzed data from the, um, the interviews that we held. We ensured that we held a feedback session with the stakeholders so that they could hear how we had synthesized the results and really provide an additional opportunity for their input. So those are just a few ways in which we operationalize RJ and birth equity within our, within our project.
0: So you've not just explained the concepts, you've talked about how important they are to the research. You talked at the outset about the importance of changing the narrative. And one of the Aspects of that is uh, black is a word used to bring a whole lot of different people from very different circumstances in under this one umbrella. And your study team and the people you interviewed identified with a lot more specificity than that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the team. Um, what other types of identification are important to understand uh, what? the team is hearing what they're bringing to the discussion and how to interpret your results.
1: Absolutely, I really enjoyed working with this, this team of colleagues and, and um, collaborators. So Kay Matthews with the Shades of Blue Project, Tracy Estreplet, Kelly Davis, Dr. Susan Perez and Dr. Joy Kripp-Perry. We have a positionality statement as we call it that we included in the paper. So we wanted to make it clear to the audience how it is that we identify, it's not all of our identifiers, but how it is that we identify and also how society identifies us because that is also an important framing um so we identify as black women cisgendered um two of us are descendants of african enslaved peoples and two of us are descendants of afro-caribbean people we have afro-caribbean heritage and so it's important for us to use in this work um um incorporate intersectionality, so examining um, interlocking systems of oppression, racism, sexism, gender oppression, classism, nationalism, how all of these impact our um, lived experiences. And I would say this is important for this work and really all research. We take the stance, we challenge the stance and the, the notion that research and scientific inquiry is inherently objective. And so we think it's important for us to be very transparent about how we identify and thus allow the audience to then determine to a degree how um, we might be engaging in our research. We also um, interviewed 10 Black women perinatal mental health stakeholders. We were very specific about that as RJ and Birth Equity calling us to focus on those who um, are most burdened by the issues that we are we are invested in, in improving and addressing, and so these were individuals who have backgrounds in perinatal social work, clinical psychology, birth work, marriage and family therapy, and um, have also integrated and interface with the mental health care systems themselves.
0: So you know, so often people want to focus on the results. Uh, reporters want to know what you learn and. Part of what you're telling us is that the process for getting those results is as important as the results themselves, maybe even more important, and transparency, not just about you know methods and the like, but the who, who on both sides of the equation is also important in interpreting results. And And if we just sort of gloss over those as details or something that only the the research community would be interested in, we can lose sight of how much those attributes actually affect what results we find.
1: Absolutely. I think it's um, it's really important, again, that we are transparent about how we, how we identify. It gives insights to the readers about how we move through the world, how the world, you know, society identifies us. It also um, it provides insights potentially to areas that we might be missing, right? And so, something that we make note of as a limitation is that we identify, or we are cisgendered, um, cisgender women. And so, that is something to keep in mind as you are, um, as you are um, interpreting the results. We did make sure that we focus on um, more expansive populations of, of folks who have the capacity or desire to birth. So, the stakeholders provided care for those who were practitioners provided care to. Um, birthing people. So that is something um, to note and, and is important.
0: Okay. So let's move into what you learned from the qualitative work that you did here. You reported, and I'm going to read this as a quote from the paper, the need for services informed by cultural humility and holistic care, which is inclusive of dignified, respectful, humane, and empathic care. That's the end of the quote. Now, I think when people think about care, they take those dimensions as given, but you see a pretty significant gap between those ideals and what actually is out there. Can you explain what that gap is?
1: Absolutely. So despite, you know, the US spending the, the highest um, health, exponential on health than other industrialized you know, nations and high income countries, it does not necessarily equate to better quality care. It does not equate to better outcomes. And we see that with Black women and birthing people in the space of mental health. Uh, black women are not listened to. This is rooted in the dehumanization of Black women and Black bodies. There's research that, that, and evidence that shows that in, in the space of maternity care. Um, there's also data that show that Black women are more likely to experience mistreatment during maternity care. So there's studies on, on um, mistreatment that show you know, twenty-two um, percent of Black women experience mistreatment uh, during pregnancy and childbirth, and that doesn't even account for mistreatment experience in the prenatal period and postpartum. So these are things that we would, we would we think are given, but they're not. Um, evidence shows that there are gaps, um, and there are researchers that are really pushing us to expand um, to ensure that respectful care, dignified care, um, holistic care are. Um, offered and available and accessible to all individuals, specifically those who have um, the most adverse outcomes, Black women and Black birthing people.
0: Well, I'm eager to get into a conversation about what we can do about all of this. We'll take that up after we take a short
1: break. The innovative online Master of Science in Health Policy and Law from UCSF and UC Law San Francisco merges study in health policy and law and makes it possible for you to work while pursuing your degree. Even better, you'll be able to employ your new knowledge to your career in real time. Prepare to lead the future of health. Apply by the March 31st priority deadline to join the fall 2024 class. Learn more at uclawsf.edu forward slash hpl. Hi, I'm Leslie Erdelak.
0: And I'm Watts. Hey, Leslie, the Health Affairs Podcast Network is really growing.
1: I know, babe, our new podcast, Health Affairs This Week, places listeners at the center of health policy's proverbial water cooler. Each week, our trusted editors discuss this week's most pressing health policy news, all in 15 minutes or less.
0: So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen and join the fun. And we're back. I'm speaking with Isabel Morgan, who, along with co-authors, wrote a paper in our October issue describing a pathway to equitable and anti-racist maternal mental health care. Before the break, we were taking a look at how the information came together to create this paper. But now I want to turn to what we should do about it and what these pathways are. Let's start with one aspect that you identify. You explain that black birthing populations are particularly burdened by disjointed systems of care for mental health. So tell me what that means and what we should do about that.
1: Disjointed systems of care, there's not um, clear pathways uh, for, for care referrals um, between healthcare systems. and so between the maternity care providers and mental health stakeholders, um, what we heard from the, the, the Black women that we interviewed is that even when those referral systems exist, that they're not uh, being referred to Black women practitioners, that they're not included in those referral systems. And so what we heard as solutions, potential solutions, one, to strengthen partnerships between birth workers and mental health care providers, so doulas and mental health care providers. So it's important for doulas to know who their mental health practitioners Um, that they provide, that provide culturally responsive and respectful services. You know, I'm going to,
0: sorry, but I'm going to jump in and say maybe not everyone listening has much experience with doulas. So since you bring that up as an important part of the care continuum, can you tell our listeners what a doula is, the role they play, and why it's so important to think about that in terms of uh, addressing the uh, disjointed systems?
1: Yes. Doulas are amazing. They are um, birth companions. There's different names for them, but they provide emotional and physical support um, to individuals. There's different types of doulas, but there's birth doulas, there's postpartum doulas, there's even um, death doulas, but they uh, generally provide emotional and um, physical support to people before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and potentially in the postpartum period, they are advocates. They are advocating for um, their clients um, within the healthcare systems. They serve as buffers. They serve to um, support people through the birthing um, pregnancy and the birthing process to really ensure that their needs are being met, that they're being respected. They serve as a conduit even um, for, for folks who have partners that are involved in the pregnancy and, and, and birthing experience to serve as a conduit between um, them and the, the, um, the providers. And so they're a really critical part of the care team, honestly, and um, it, it's really our goal. The goal that we're advocating for is for doulas to be available to all um, pregnant and birthing people at an affordable, um, at an affordable cost.
0: So I'm sorry, I interrupted as you were talking about the importance of the linkage between the doulas and the rest of the care system, and uh, your impassioned uh, plea to increase the profile of doulas got got in the way. So let me bring you back to where I cut you off. Um, What does it take to enable the doula to play that advocacy role across the care team and not just sort of sitting on the side?
1: they have to be respected themselves. Um, they are, uh, and, and we're seeing more and more of this. They have to be integrated into and welcomed into um, hospital settings and to birth center settings. Um, they, they have to be integrated as part of the, the care team and to be respected for what it is they do offer and provide to um, pregnant and birthing people. And also they need the, the financial support. And so that is um, something that community-based doulas specifically often struggle with is not being able to have a livable, you know, wage um, to be able to to care for themselves. And so, there are more and more um, health insurance plans that are covering doulas. We want to really advocate for Medicaid specifically to cover the cost of doulas to reduce that barrier for individuals who need who need those additional resources. And so, um, you know, doulas. Are, have, you know, a Rolodex, honestly, of different practitioners um, that they can refer clients to. It might be something that's more holistic, like an acupuncturist or, or an herbalist. It also could be a mental health practitioner. And so um, being aware of who the practitioners are that are, provide culturally responsive and respectful care to Black women is important. And that's you know the role of the doula, but also the mental health practitioners can be more proactive. So who are the doulas in their communities that are serving the birthing folks um, in their communities and developing relationships with them and sharing, introducing themselves, sharing their professional ideologies and their scope of practice. Um, And so that's strengthening partnerships between those two groups. There's also importance of establishing linkages between maternal healthcare services and maternal mental health practitioners.
0: You know, when I look at the pathways that you identify, two of them focus on opportunities to invest directly in Black women, both as mental health professionals, which you've alluded to, but also as leaders of community-based organizations. And this theme of investment really runs through your paper. Talk to me a little bit about why that theme emerges and what it would look like.
1: Investment is the right term. You know, investment, not simply funding, but really being committed to Long term um, impactful change. Maintaining the status quo here with funding, with research, with policy, it's really not going to allow us to see the changes and outcomes that we need. We need radical and revolutionary paradigm shifts and systems change, and that includes investments in the Black maternal mental health workforce and also in Black women led community based organizations. And this aligns with the frameworks that ground our work. So I mentioned previously shifting power with reproductive justice. We really need um, an investment in um, the workforce, increasing access to black women, the training of black women, uh, mental health practitioners, and and increasing investments and sustained investments in community-based organizations that are led by black women. There's also a need to humanize and respect black women and birthing people and recognizing that their solutions are uh, key that they are community-based and that they will get us to the improved outcomes and and wellness um, really that we're looking for. So some examples of that, uh, the stakeholders that we interviewed, they talked about case management. What CBOs do differently is their case management addresses trauma and social determinants of health. So they're helping their clients. If they have transportation needs, if they have um, food insecurities, they're addressing those directly with their clients to make sure that they are self-sufficient, and that, they, um, that they, they increase their stability over time. Uh, other differences, they're incorporating spirituality and the client's spiritual practices into their care. Um, and then lastly, I'll mention the importance of concordance. There's research that shows how important it is for um, racial concordance between um, providers and their patients. You know, I mentioned that um, there's a, Black women are less likely to receive mental health care treatment, but why is that? We don't have enough practitioners that look like us. They don't have enough practitioners that look like us that folks feel comfortable going to to receive treatment and care.
0: You know, I'm really struck in the conversation when we frame these issues, maternal mental health, it is very often in a deficit model. The first sentence is, you know, one out of five birthing people has a mental health disorder. Four out of five do not, or at least don't have one diagnosed. But you've brought in a few times this sort of the positive side of mental health, the thriving, the joy that seems to be squeezed out of so many discussions about mental health, which focus on deficit and treatment. I wonder if you could just expand on that. Am I seeing something uh, here that uh, maybe we all could, could learn from? And, and you talked about a paradigm shift. Is this part of that shift?
1: Absolutely. It's so important for us to be thinking about using an asset based approach, to be thinking about um, how Black women, Black people have navigated these systems, um, inequities over time. And really, what we heard from our stakeholders is that community aspect. When we move away from community, it really um, is detrimental to our health and wellness. And so, um, what we heard is the importance of really strengthening communities community-based, organ- investing in community-based organizations, because that's really where people feel most comfortable to get support and to um, lean in to um, get what it is that they need for themselves and for their families. So absolutely, it's important for us, too, to, to really be thinking about ways that we can also focus on the strengths of Black women and Black birthing people as it pertains to their mental health.
0: Your paper ends with uh, a statement that you hope your analysis can inform various things, and one of them is the decisions of policymakers. We, of course, are a health policy journal. So as we uh, wrap this up, I wonder if you, you've you already mentioned Medicaid paying for doulas, but I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about what policymaker decisions you think uh, emerge as ideas or suggestions out of this work.
1: Yes. Uh, First, Black women, we have to see Black women and Black birthing people as inherently valuable. So in the beginning, I talked about um, the the negative um, narratives that we have and harmful narratives that we have about Black motherhood and Black parenthood. We really have to dismantle that first. We have to um, acknowledge um, that Black women and Black birthing people hold the solutions for what they need and what they deserve in this space. And that means shifting power to CBOs, that means addressing the systems level failures and investing in Black women. And so I commend the, the work of the Black Maternal Health Caucus, co-founded and co-chaired by Congresswoman Alma Adams and Lauren Underwood. So they've collaborated with Black women-led community-based organizations to elevate policy solutions within Congress to address Black maternal health inequities. And, and we, we we referenced two specific pieces of legislation from the 2021 Black Maternal Health Mom and bus Package um, that was introduced um, this year, and two of the bills specifically that would really help to improve um, Black maternal mental health. We mentioned the Kira Johnson Act, which calls for investments addressing social determin- determinants of health, so housing, transportation, nutrition, supporting pregnant and postpartum women um, and people that have maternal mental health conditions, Increasing access to doulas and other perinatal health workers. There's also the Moms Matter Act. So that's direct investment in community-based organizations and programs that provide mental and behavioral health treatment and support, and really growing, as we've mentioned before, um, the need for growing culturally congruent mental health workforce. And so we're really excited to, to know that all 12 bills that were introduced as part of the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act of 2021 are currently included in the Build Back Better Act, which is being considered by Congress right now.
0: Before I let you go, I have to ask, uh, you're in your fourth year pursuing your PhD at the University of North Carolina. Uh, what's your topic?
1: Yes, I am focused on how structural racism impacts infertility treatment outcomes in Black women. I was really struck to, to learn about the inequities Um, in infertility treatment outcomes specifically that Black women experience and really wanting to engage in research to help, one, expand, um, promote policies. So expanding Medicaid coverage for infertility treatments, but also seeing what we can do to address those racial inequities and outcomes.
0: Well, Ms. Morgan, it's been great uh, talking to you. Thank you for the paper and for being my guest today on A Health Policy.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.